Christians and that dilemma goes something like this. Can we engage and live in this present culture while still maintaining our faith? Is it possible when it seems like the world is bowing around us to stand firm and to stand true? And I believe the answer is yes. But I believe it's not only possible for us to stand, but I believe that through the result of our standing, we have such an opportunity and ability to count touchless others like no other time in history. Why? Because people are searching today and we have the answer. Listen to that. People are searching today and we have found the answer. But how are we presenting that? How are we bringing that? How are we showing them the answer to God? Now to stand, I didn't say would be easy. Easy is to bow. Easy is to go along with the flow. But God never promised the Christian walk would be easy, but he promised us companionship along the journey. So he would help us and strengthen us. So what do we know about God? Here's what we discovered last week. God doesn't want us to be right. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be righteous. You see, because if we're right, do you realize by being right, we can be wrong? And what I mean by that, we can be wrong with our response. If we're right, we're right, but we can be wrong with our response. Why? Because we can come across as being judgmental, aggressive, damnable to those that we can turn people away. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but many of you, it took you a while to come to church or you were hesitant to come to church. Why? Because of churchgoers. And I'm going to call them churchgoers because we're not going to call them Christians. Come on now. We're not going to call them a Christian because a Christian is someone who's Christ-like. A lot of churchgoers are so interested in being right that they're pointing the finger where God doesn't want us to be right. He wants us to be righteous. And righteous means living a life that's pleasing to God, that we are Christ-like in our behavior as well as the words that we speak, that what are we doing? We're looking to build bridges for the gospel, looking for connecting people to God. And through this current series, we're looking at the life of Daniel. What a great example for every one of us, because we see from the life of Daniel, the initial attack of the enemy comes in three ways. Last week we discovered the first part and that is this, we're in an identity crisis. The enemy wants to steal our identity, he wants to change our name so we begin to become and believe that we're something different. Look at it, Daniel 1 verse 7 says these words, To them the chief of eunuchs gave them their names, to Daniel he called him Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. We know them today as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that's not their God-given name. That's the name that the world gave them. Come on, we need some Hananiahs and Mishaels and Asariahs to stand up and say, that's not my name. That's not my name. I love this quote. W.C. Fields says this, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. And I like that. The world can call you a failure, but you don't have to answer to that. Come on, the world can say that you're a down and out, that you're a drug head. You don't have to answer to that because that ain't my name no more. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, would you help me preach this message today? So today we're going to look at the second part and that is this. The world wants to tame us. The world wants us to conform. In other words, to put us in a box. Romans 12 verse 2 says this. Don't be trans- don't, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't be put in a box. Don't be molded into the image that the world wants to 
give to you. And then next week, we're going to look at how the world wants to test us. Why? Because the world wants to own us. It wants to claim us. It wants to have us. So what do we see? The all-out attack is against who we are, what we do, and whose we are. And we've got to get that right so we can stand right and we can stand firm through God. But even through this onslaught, this all-out attack, the encouragement that we can draw from Daniel is this. That no matter what the culture around him chose to do, Daniel chose a higher way. And he never wavered in his faith and he became a great influence. That's my prayer for my life. That's my prayer for your life. That you'll be a great influence in your work. Because I'm telling you, someone who stands is someone who's seen. And I believe it's time that we be seen where we're at. Not because we're right, but because we're righteous. That God would be seen through every one of our lives. Come on, say with me, put in a box. That's what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to put you into a box. I'm going to read today Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And you can follow along with me on the screen. It says, Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Listen to last week talking about how they were enslaved and taken captive to a new land in Babylon. And some of the young men... He said, pick the ones with no blemish, but those who are good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who has the ability to serve the king's palace and whom they may teach the languages and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them. So at the end of that time, they may serve before the king. Now from amongst those the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and uh, Azariah, and Abednego. Sorry, hold on. Can you go back? Where is it? To, there it is. Sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And to them, the chief of eunuchs gave names. He gave to Daniel. You can go forward. There you go. The, the name Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel, but Daniel, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs. But Daniel purposed in his heart. He was determined. He was resolved not to. He was determined to stand. I want to give you some points today that I believe are very important. And point number one, and that is this. You've got to live for a purpose. You've got to live for a purpose. You've got to understand that there is a purpose for your life. The enemy wants to take your name identity. Why? Because he wants you to not realize today that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But you've got to start to live in that purpose. There's a purpose that God has for your life that's bigger than you. It's greater than you. And that's why we need God to be able to fulfill it. Popular culture is always trying to tame us into compromise and compliance with the fast-moving trends around us. Culture grinds against our values until they crumble or we stand up and counter the cultural erosion. I wonder what you'll do today. Is it grinding you down or are you standing up against it? Why? Because the choice is yours. What am I going to do when culture is shifting around us? And that's why we need to know beforehand our core convictions, which we're going to talk about later in this message. But here's the truth today. It's always easier to resist the winds of change 
if your roots run deep down into God's truth. We've got to know the truth, the Bible says, and that truth we know will set us free. We've got to know the truth and allow those roots, our lives to be established and built upon those. So here's the guys. They're taken from their land. They're put in in the king's palace to be trained, to be brainwashed, literally, for three years. And then they are given the best of the best. Think about this. They're given the best of the best. They're given from the king's table. The king don't eat no junk. They had the best of everything. But what was its purpose? What was the purpose for what they were given? Come on, say with me. You've got to know your purpose. I'm sure they were tempted to think this. Oh, this is a good thing. Come on, think about that. This is a good thing. I like this food. I I like being given the best stuff. It's a tempting thing to say this is a good thing. But remember, good is not always God. Because why? We know that Satan uses good things because if they weren't good things, they would not catch our attention. They would not satisfy our appetites and our desires. Satan uses good stuff too. The food and the drink that they were offered, you've got to understand, violated their dietary laws. As children of Israel, they shouldn't have eaten those things. And furthermore, it wasn't just a violation of their dietary laws. It was a violation against their spiritual relationship. Why? Because those foods had been offered to pagan idols before they were served to them. So Daniel, in the midst of all of this, says, you know what? It may look good and it may satisfy a great need in my life. But I'm telling you right now, I live for a higher purpose. And Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. He purposed in his heart not to take in those things into his body. He wanted to remain pure in his body. But listen to me, remaining pure in his body was more than just a physical thing. It was also a spiritual thing. Do you realize today we're in a spiritual battle? You you may think your struggle is that person that's sitting around you today. I'm here to tell you right now, the Bible says our struggle and our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about there's a demon behind every corner. A lot of people looking for demons and everything. I don't know why you want to look for a demon. Look for Jesus in everything. Come on, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm not concerned with those things. I'm keeping my eyes fixed on God and then he can handle those things. Do I hear an amen? But there's a spiritual battle, but it's more than just food and water. It's a spiritual battle that wants to take your soul. Oh, it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. No, it's a spiritual battle that wants to destroy you, that wants to take you from the purpose that God has for your life. Daniel says, we're not going to eat that, but I tell you what we'll eat instead. We'll eat vegetables We'll eat grains and we'll eat water. In other words, he went on what we call today the Daniel fast. No breads, meats and sweets. All the nice stuff. So they're sitting there eating soup, vegetable soup, while they're watching people tuck into ribs. And shrimp and steak and lobster. And they're sitting there (laughs) drinking water. Reminds me a little bit of Joshua. Joshua said these words, 24, 15. He said, choose for yourselves this day. Choose today. Whom are you going to serve? And he goes on and he gives them the list. But you know, here's what I like about Joshua. He doesn't wait for their reply. He says, you make a choice today who you serve. And here's what you can serve. But as for me and my hands, we're going to serve 
the Lord. Come on, as for me and my house, there's a choice that you have to make. And unfortunately, many of us blame other people for the choice that we haven't made. There's a choice you have to make and passivity and not choosing is not an option. Come on now, you've got to make a choice. Because if you ain't living for God, you're living for... Come on, don't blame other people for the choice you haven't made. And so my challenge for us today is this. You have a purpose, so why not live it? Why not live it? Don't wait for what the world replies. Come on, I've got a purpose. This is what we're going to do in our house. This is what we're going to be. This is who I am. Because you see, when you know your purpose, you won't struggle to decide. Well, what should I do? You know your purpose, and therefore you don't struggle. Here's the second thing. Are you ready? You need to be prepared beforehand. You've got to prepare ahead. If not, by the time you get there, it's maybe going to be too late. Well, I'll just worry about it when I get there. Well, you're probably going to be too late. Come on, it's easier to be prepared beforehand than it is when you get there to think, what do I need to do? Decide before. Know your plan of engagement. Why? Because the enemy will use all kinds of enticements to pull you away from God's plan because he wants you to compromise. He wants to conform you. He wants to put you in a box. And how does he do that? In the same way he did with Daniel and the boys, he'll make it seem easy and enjoyable. That's no big deal. I mean, everyone else is doing it. And you know what? Some of us have even labeled the attack of enemy as a blessing from God. Well, God blessed me with that person. Oh, really? Where'd you find them? I'm telling you, you need to find people in church. Come on, I said you need to find people in church. And I'm going to go further than that. You need to find people in the front section of church, not the back section of church. Come on, I'm not hating on all the back people, but I want some people who are at the front. Come on, hands up, all out, no doubt. Come on, giving to God everything. Praise in the house. Come on, it's amazing that blessings can look so harmless and accepting in our lives that we just grab a hold of them and say, well, hey, it's a blessing, it's good. Come on, a blessing's not when someone gives you more change from their cash register. That's a mistake that they're going to suffer for. That's not a blessing from God. You don't have to cheat to be blessed by God. God don't need no help. He just needs some willing, yielded, obedient vessels. And you see, that's why you've got to know, well, pastor, is that a blessing or is it not? That's why you've got to know what you stand for before that moment. Come on, before you're offered that hit, before you're given that drink, before that touch, come on, before that glimpse, before that purchase, before that taste, you've got to know what's my purpose. And what am I going to live for? Come on, God's word is very clear of many things. And one such thing is this, temptation is coming your way. Temptation's coming your way. Oh, but God, I've given my life to you. I'm I'm now free from temptation. No, no. You're free from the power that would overcome you. You can now walk in freedom. You don't have to choose that, but temptation is still coming. You see, temptation is not the sin. It's when we choose to do it that it becomes the sin. Temptation is the bait. But sin is when we give into it. Why do we give into those things? Because we don't have an escape plan. King David wrote these words in Psalms 119, 112. He said, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Notice what he did. He determined from the beginning, God, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Before problems came, he told himself, I'm going to follow God's word. 
And then he goes on to say this in verse 28. Because I considered all your precepts right, I have what? Hated every wrong pathway. God, I know what your word is. And God, because of that, whenever it comes, I hate those things. I don't want to be a part of those things. Why? Because I've purposed to serve you. What do we know about David? He's someone who was far from perfect. But he always found his way back. Why? Because he knew what he believed. And he didn't know just what he believed. He knew in whom he believed. Listen today, you are responsible for what you hold true. Is it God's truth or is it man's truth? Which is really important today when they try to tell us there are no absolute truths. Have you heard that? Well, there's no real absolute truths, you know, and as long as it's a partial truth. Listen, a partial truth is just as much of a lie as a whole lie is a lie. Because if it's not the whole truth, it's not the truth. It's a, it's a lie. It doesn't matter the color of it, whether it's white or whatever. It, it, it's all a lie. And it's amazing because when the world says there's no absolute truths, what the world is really doing is it's putting a question mark behind that which God puts an exclamation mark or a period to. Because morality, instead of now saying, well, this is what it is, it now questions How does that look? Sexuality. Hmm. Man and female. Oh, no. Now we're going to add more. It begins to question morals, standards, values, social issues, marriage, family, money. And it begins to question all those things. You know, in a recent poll, they discovered that only 35% of Americans believed in moral absolutes anymore. Only 35% believed in moral absolutes anymore. And you know from the same study, here's what they concluded and what they discovered. Are you ready? That a substantial number of so-called Christian believers said that they actively supported such things as abortion, gay sex, sexual fantasies, cohabitation, drunkenness, pornography, and that's just a few of the things that they said were morally accepting. Which is a major problem. For what reason? Look at the scripture, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the great commission. God is saying, you need to go out and make followers. Well, the problem is this. What are they following? Come on, I said, what are they following? If we have nothing determined, if there's no purpose, if there's no structure, no foundation to our lives, we're leading people the wrong way. We've got to be reminded of John 15 verse 19, and that is this. If we, come on, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But Jesus said, because you are not of this world. You've got to be reminded of that. I'm not of this world. I'm just passing through. This ain't my home. One day it's in heaven. So I've got to watch. And then we've got to see this, that John 13 verse 5 says, By all that they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's the dilemma. God says, I've got to go out and lead people in the way they need to go. I don't need to be given to the world because that ain't my home. I'm just passing through. But the world's going to look and see how I respond and react and love others because that's going to identify me back to Christ. Why do I say all of those things? I say them for this reason. We cannot be an example for Christ if we're so swallowed up by cultural forces. 
Come on, you and I have got to be anchored to God's word. Not what the word says. The world says, rather. We've got to be anchored to God's word and his truth. Not to the world. Here's the third point today. We've got to see God's world view. You know, everyone has a world view. Everyone has a way that they see the world. It's a way of seeing. It's a way of filtering and processing the events of their daily lives in the context of the world that they live in. So our worldview is the set of our beliefs that we will base our life on. It's our core convictions that we consider when we're faced with decisions. I've heard this often. Well, I'm not convicted by that, Pastor. Let me say that again. I've heard this many times. Well, Pastor, I'm not convicted of that. I can listen to that. I can watch that. I can be a part of that. That's not a conviction of mine. I I don't feel guilty. I, I don't feel wrong that I'm doing anything wrong by doing that. You know, there's a major problem with that. I said there's a major problem with that. And here's the major problem. Are you ready? The gospel is not tailor-made to suit your decisions, your thoughts, and your actions. Come on, let me say that again. I didn't get many amens. I'm probably not expecting many amens with this one, but I'm going to say it again. The gospel message isn't tailor-made to suit your decisions, thoughts, and your actions. Well, if I just want to do that, then it's okay because God lets me do that. Listen, right is right and wrong is wrong. Why? Because what do we know is we're not dealing with a different salvation. Oh, so you're saying your salvation is different to mine? Salvation, the message of God is the same for every one of us. So here's the reality. Here's the truth. Are you ready? It's not a personal conviction. It's a personal choice. Well, I'm not convicted. No, you have just chosen to not be convicted by those things. And you have chosen to accept those things in your life. Why? Because you've chosen to have a world view. And here's what we've got to get this right. Are you ready? Look at this statement. We don't see things as they are, but we see things as we are. How we are. We see things through our filter of our personal experiences, our relationships, our observations, our conclusions. And they can be both good and bad. But many times these variables are often biased, inaccurate and subject to our emotions and our feelings which are changing. I'll give you an example. There can be a car accident. We can have five witnesses. What's going to happen? You're going to have five different stories. The stories are going to intersect somewhere and some may overlap a little bit more. But it's amazing how everyone sees it differently because they see it from their perspective. All looking at the same event but now from their personal world view. And that's why we've got to have the proper world view. And here's why. For these important reasons. Because our world view just determines three things. Number one, how we see God, how we view other people, and how we, or sorry, let me say that again. How we see God, how we view ourselves, and how we regard or see other people. So we've got to get it right. Because if my worldview's wrong, I'm going to see God wrong. I'm going to treat other people wrong. I'm going to treat myself wrong. I'm not going to see the values. Why? Because our worldview determines how we interpret our past experiences, our present circumstances, and our future expectations. Because what we believe about God, ourselves, and others makes a direct impact on the decisions that we will make every day, how we see money, how we see sex, how we see time, 
how we view God and evil is all determined on the worldview that we have. Come on, our worldview requires truth and not just any truth, absolute truth, his word, his truth. And if it's not based on God's word, which is the ultimate truth, then our worldview relies on false and negative things of this world. And you know who the author of those things is? John 10.10 tells us the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's the author of the worldview. He wants to kill your life. He wants to steal your life. He wants to destroy your life. You know the same poll that I mentioned earlier today. They determined that 62% of Americans consider themselves deeply spiritual. It's kind of a joke, isn't it? When you think that 35% say that they now live by moral absolutes, but yet 62% would consider themselves deeply spiritually. Obviously, by that, we see that they're deeply spiritual in the wrong areas and in the wrong things. So they were asked a a next question. Well, if you are deeply spiritual, tell me how that spirituality affects the decisions that you make. And it goes something like this. 31% said that I make moral choices based on what feels right and comfortable to me. 18% said I base my decisions on whatever is best for me. 14% says I base my decisions on what's going to bring the least conflict with other people. I don't want unrest, so I just want to be a peacemaker. What's going to give the peace? And notice this, only 16% of those who said they were deeply spiritual said that they made their choices based on what the Bible says. So what conclusion do we draw from that? Most Christians have a non-Christian worldview. I said most Christians have a non-Christian, non-scriptural worldview. And if we don't base our decisions on the Bible, then those decisions are going to bring devastating consequences to our life every time, to this nation and to this world. We must get our worldview from the correct worldview, and that is God. Because the Bible talks about a wise and foolish man. And from the outlook, it didn't look like anything was different because it was the same house built with the same materials by the same blueprint and plan. Even the same builder built it. But the only difference was what you didn't see and that was the foundation. And the Bible says that what looked good to start with, a storm and trials came. And the wise man's house stood, but the foolish man's house fell. And it was a great devastation. It was horrific. Why? Because only that which is built upon the rock is going to stand. Come on, we've got to build our lives on the Word of God. It may not be popular today, but it's going to see you through the storms of life. It's going to keep your family together. It's going to keep your sanctity in the midst of struggles. And persecutions, last point today, core convictions. Come on, say with me, core convictions. That's why we must have them. And that's why God has given them to us to have. I like to call these the non-negotiables of life. There's negotiables that I have in life. And there's some things that I've said are non-negotiable. No matter who you are, where you're at, come on, I'm not going to change in my beliefs because that's a non-negotiable factor. That's a core conviction that I'm living by. Come on, the places I'm not prepared to compromise and go to. 
I, I, I'm going to even say this. My core convictions, many of them, are things that I would even be almost prepared to die for. Because I believe so strongly in those things and in these things. And they've got to still be constantly maintained in our life because what do we know about the enemy? He wants to put us in a box and he wants to come little by little to deceive us and give us in. And we've got to constantly take stock of our lives. That's why when we take communion, one of the prayers is let a man examine himself. That's what we're talking about. I'm examining my life and saying, God, have I given in? Have I surrendered some ground that, God, I need to claim back for you? Because the enemy will come in that way. And these things, again, have to be decided before and ahead of time. Because if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything. Yeah. They can't be what feels good and seems right in the moment. They have to be unmovable foundations upon which I build my life. And I need to be sure of them because they will shape every aspect of my life. Today I want to share some of the core convictions that I live by. Just quickly today. I want to give you a list. I'm not asking for this to be your list. But I believe that they're great things that you can live by. And hopefully they'll help you. Number one is God's Word. God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, you and I, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And every, in other words, what I believe is, is God's Word is the manual for life. It's the manual for my life. It's what I choose to live by. I believe if there's any questions that I have in life, God's Word has the answer. Even still today, God's word has the answer for every need that we'll face. So what have I determined in my life? I've come to this determination, God's word is going to settle it. Don't let society explain you away from what God says. Because God's word is truth. Psalms 119.105, your word have I hid in my heart. No, I mean, sorry. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Come on, my opinion, I, I get this asked quite a lot. Well, what's your opinion on it, Pastor Philip? Well, really, to be honest with you, my opinion doesn't matter. It's what God thinks that counts. And I try to always turn people to God's Word because my opinion many times can be different to God's Word. But I didn't write the book. He did. And I choose to base my life, I've chose to believe God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. I've often joked about this. I believe the Bible so much, I even believe the maps in the back. Come on, I, I just trust in God's Word. I read it every day and I get it in my life. I read it. I just allow it to be. It's a core conviction that I have that I'm going to live and build my life upon God's Word because I believe God's Word is the absolute truth for my life. Core conviction number two, praise and worship. It's a core conviction that I have because what you realize is this, everyone worships something. And true worship is placing worth and value on who God is. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that were in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created, created through Him and for Him. You could read on that passage, but I think you get the picture. God created a world. He created us for what? To worship Him. And I believe there's great fulfillment that comes in my life when I worship Him. It's when I begin to worship other things that my life begins to take a down 
he'll turn. Why? Because when I worship God, here's what happens. I begin to embrace his attributes. When I worship him, I begin to see who he is. You know who God is? God is omnipresent. That means he's all places at all times. He's not restricted as we are. God is what? Omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. And then he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. So picture this. Through worship, I surrender to his power, his majesty, and his goodness. As I worship God, I say, God, you be the God of my life. And God, I'm going to let you be God. Because I've been God before and it doesn't look good. But I want your kingdom to be established, your kingdom to be. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper what? Worship. I make worship a part of my daily life. Through my prayer time I worship. I listen to worship music most of the time. I'm not standing here and saying I'm holy, but I don't listen to secular music. I don't say I don't hear secular music because we hear it. But I choose not to engage myself in that. I just do. I really do. And I'm telling you right now, my life, I believe, is a lot better off because of that. Because I want something that feeds my spirit. I want something that will motivate my spirit and change my spirit. I don't want something that's going to, (laughs) what? Tell me that everything's okay when it's not. Because if I'm in the wrong place, I want something to take me to the right place, not justify where I'm at. So core conviction is me. I'm a praiser and I'm a worshiper. That's something that I do every day. Here's another core conviction of mine, marriage and family. It's just so important to me. We were made in the image of God, male and female. But we were really designed for relationship with God and with others, to build families to have a healthy home model where God instructs us to have honor and obedience. Ephesians 6, 2 verse 4, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you will live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and the admonition of the Lord. You see, family and marriage is just a very core conviction of mine because I see how the enemy's doing everything it can to steal and break the family unit trying to stop that. One of the things that's really important in our home is we have family meal time. Even if you're not eating, you're sitting at the table with us. Why? Because you may not be engaged in the conversation and may not want to be engaged. But come on, we're getting together as a family and we're going to be there. It's just a core conviction that I have. Why? Because I believe that our family is the training ground that we have to produce a successful life. Because we need to be responsible parents, not just spouses. You know, a lot of people today, and I wish I had more time, they turn around and say, well, I'm not married anymore. You're still a dad. Whether you're a husband or a wife, you're still a parent. And your responsibility, and that's just a thing that I have in my heart, you've still got to be responsible. And I believe, as I've said, that Satan has done everything he can to divide that family unit in marriage. Look at marriage, Supreme Courts changing laws that same-sex marriages can happen doesn't matter what the world says. God says that marriage is still between one man and one woman. And that's God's word for marriage. Look at divorce. What do we know about divorce? God hates divorce. You know why God hates divorce so much? He doesn't hate the divorcee, the person. But the reason why he hates divorce so much is because marriage is the picture of relationship that God has between him and his church, the bride. So anything that disrupts that is trying to destroy the image that we should have of the relationship that we have with God. 
Look at this statement. Strong families grow out of strong marriages and homes. It's a core conviction for me. I know I've gone over today. I've got to finish. Number the next one, church. Church is a core conviction of mine. It's not a necessity. It's a necessity. I mean, not an option. Hebrews 10 verse 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now with the day of his return is drawing near. Church to me isn't an option. It's a core conviction that I have. It's a necessity. There's always going to be something that's going to come up and take its place. (laughs) But I'm ready beforehand. You know that I already know next year, the year after and on, I know what I'm going to be doing every Sunday. (laughs) I know where I'm going to be every Sunday. If I'm not going to be here in church, I'm going to be ministering somewhere or I'm going to be in church with my family. Because that's a core conviction that we have. We're going to be in the house of God. David one day decided that he wanted to build God a house. And God said, I'll tell you what, because you want to build me a house, God says, I'll build your house. What a promise from God. You build my house, God says, I'll take care of your home. Matthew 16, 18, Peter, God says to him, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You want to build your family and place your life in something that's sure? It's his church. Come on, it's a core conviction that I have. I'm going to be in church. My family's going to be in church. As long as you're living under our roof, you're going to be in church with us. Because that's what we do. That's who we are. Tithing is another one. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Let me be food in my house. Try me this with the Lord of hosts. If I'm not open the windows of heaven, pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Come on, I choose to bring to God his portion and tithe from what he has given me. Because I realize everything I have comes by way of his hand. There's always going to be something I could spend it on and there's always a need that I could use it to facilitate. But I'm telling you, Kelly and I in our home have realized that we don't even figure in our tithe in the money that we have available. Because that's not even an option because a core conviction is we're going to pay our tithes. And there's been times I want you to know that we've gone without because we paid our tithes. But let me tell you something, you never go without when you put God first. Because God will redeem and multiply and bless and supernaturally touch. Here's another core conviction that I have, and that is this integrity. Always living by and telling the truth. Come on, I put my shopping cart back at the grocery store. I just want you to know that. And we laugh about that, but I just think living a life of integrity, it's not just what people see, but I want a a character of integrity. Because character of integrity is being integral even when people around are not there to see it. Because my integrity is before God. Matthew 5, 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Live a life of integrity. Your words, action, behavior. I'm the the same person behind the pulpit as I am outside of the pulpit. Why? Because I, I, I don't want to be a different person. Because God hasn't called me to preach. God has called me to live a life for him and he lets me preach as a result of that. You see that? It's an extension of my life. It's not my life. It's an extension of my integral life, I pray. And the last one, here's a a big one for me, is holiness. Holiness. I know that word holiness can present a negative image when we use it especially to exalt self. But that's not true holiness. Holiness, I believe, is living a standard of personal purity as I long to honor God. That I have godly character. That What does that mean? That I think through my words, actions, habits and attitudes. And, you know, I I just really felt led to share this. And I know time is gone. 
But I really felt led to share this. One of the core convictions that one I have when it comes to holiness is abstinence from alcohol. Is that we choose in our home and our family not to drink and not to partake into alcohol. And I know this is a big debate today, even amongst the church. And I can understand that. There's a lot of confusion and stuff in the word. And I believe there's no confusion in the word, but man has made confusion of the word. And I just began to think, if I was to share with just people really quickly in a nutshell, why don't I drink? Here's my three areas why I don't drink. Number one, because I don't want to give myself over to something that has the power to be addictive. I don't want to give my life to something that has the power to addict me. And the Bible says that 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That Greek word there says, I will not be mastered by. I've made a determination and we have as the leadership of this church. I don't want to give myself over to something that has the power to master me and control me. And unfortunately, that's a lie of the enemy because he tells us all sin we can handle and we can control, but we know we can't. Because what starts a little, he goes in with a wedge. His goal is to go big. If it was just a case that we could just drink one drink and that would be it. That's not the sin. But the sin is the life that we live because it never just stops with one. And I've chosen not to give my life. Here's a second reason. Is it helpful for me? It's not helpful for me. Come on, that same passage of scripture says all things are maybe lawful but all things are not helpful for me come on that word help there in the greek means to help to confer to benefit to be advanced advantageous to be profitable i'm telling you right now i don't see no profit in alcohol i don't see how it's going to help my life and better my life my family In fact, all I see is the destructive nature of what alcohol does to people. I see the absolute opposite. I see how unhelpful it is to people, to their lives and situation. And you know why else I choose not to drink? Because it's not helpful to other people. I don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. I may be able to say, well, I can handle a little bit, but they may not be able to. And I believe as a child of God, 1 Corinthians 16 or 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Verse 20, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body and the spirit which are God's. I believe that God wants us to glorify him. That means be his example to other people. I said be his example to other people. And I could go on and on today because I believe the Bible makes a great stand against alcohol. Because I've seen many people delivered and I question why would God deliver someone from something if it wasn't wrong. And I know today, listen to me. The sin is drunkenness. That's what the Bible says. The sin is drunkenness. Not necessarily to drink. But I'm here to tell you, moderation has never been the cure, but moderation has always been the cause. And just because they did it in Bible days doesn't mean it's right for me because there's so many other factors that need to be considered. And we have choices today they didn't have. We can drink a Powerade. They didn't have a choice back then. Their water supplies and just different things were contaminated. They did not have the choices that we have today. But I'm saying all these things to say this. You've got to have core convictions. You've got to have something that you're going to stand for. Why? Because if you don't have that, when the enemy comes knocking, because he's going to come knocking, you're going to open up the door if you don't know what you stand for. So as I close today, here's my question for you. What area or areas of your life is the world causing you to conform to? 
What area is the world putting you in a box? Little by little. Steering you away from the word of God that you're given. Oh, that's a blessing from God. Look again, is it? What area of your life? Where's your weakness? Because just a little here and just a little there. You've got to remember the intent is to destroy you. For you to end up worshipping it. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks. But if we want to stand firm in a culture that's consistently telling us to bow then we must know what we're standing on. Bow your heads today.